speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 62 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode we are going to finish the fifth season of The Adventures of Superman, and we're going to begin season six with a look at whatever goes up and the last night. And, you know, this is, you know, quite a milestone for the show to have gone through uninterrupted the first five seasons of The Adventures of Superman and start the sixth and final season with this episode. After this, there will be 12 more episodes of The Adventures of Superman to be covered, which means six more episodes of this show will be dedicated to it. Well, seven if you count our plans to kind of wrap things up with a uh, wrap-up episode, much like we did with the first episode of the series, way back episode 15, I want to say. I started my coverage of The Adventures of Superman with episode 15, and here we are now, almost a year later, and I'm talking about episode 62, and I think we're going to end the run of this show with episode 70 or or something like that, so about 16 to 70-ish. All dedicated to The Adventures of Superman. I'm not sure of any other podcast that has gone through The Adventures of Superman like we have, but I'm glad we did. This was a worthwhile endeavor, and there's still more to go. And I'll be discussing what my plans will be going forward in a future episode. Even after The Adventures of Superman coverage is complete, there is still plenty more to talk about. You know, it's just so strange that after dedicating so much time to the George Reeves television series that... We're about six or seven episodes away from the end. All that glitters. Almost bittersweet. And you guys are going to have a special treat going forward with uh, Season 6. As you've noticed, Bob Fisher has been largely absent from our coverage of Season 5, appearing in only one episode that covered this season. You know, because he and I talked, and uh, we agreed that Season 5 is probably the weakest season of the show. But when when we looked at the episode list for Season 6, we realized that There's a whole lot of good in Season 6 of The Adventures of Superman. You know, it seemed like the show was almost turning a corner again, back to doing some really good stuff. That's what we've got on tap for the next few episodes, and for those of you who have been with us the whole way, I'd like to thank you for being with us the whole way. For those of you who have come on later, you know, welcome aboard, thank you for listening, and, you know, it's a fun ride. I think that's going to keep continuing as we go forward and out of the 50s and into the 60s and 70s and beyond to today, so... Like I said, even though, you know, there's a limited number of episodes left on The Adventures of Superman, there is still plenty more good in front of us. So, keep your podcatcher pointed right here. But before I get into uh, today's uh, business, I have some feedback to address from friend of the show, Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen Podcast, episode number 58, in which I discussed The Man Who Made Dreams Come True and Disappearing Lois. So Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Well, I hope you've warmed up since you recorded this episode. You mentioned that you recorded it during that blizzard and your heater wasn't working, so you were freezing, and that you'll soon be unpacked and comfortable in your new place together with your family. I'm just going to 
stop Dave right there and uh, say, yes, it is good to be uh, in a place where the heater is working. And about two days after, after I recorded uh, episode 58, they changed the furnace in the house that I was living at the time. So the heat came back relatively quickly after that. But Dave writes back then that he was hoping I was to be unpacked and comfortable in my new place. I just want to put out that right now, as of this recording, I am in my new place. And I've this is probably the third episode by now that I've recorded from my new place. And we're not quite unpacked yet, but we are comfortable. So thank you, Dave. Anyway, back to Dave's letter. He writes, The man who made dreams come true had an interesting premise, I think, but didn't really deliver up to its potential. I guess they can't all be gems, but I always hope. I don't think I'd want to be an ordinary citizen of Sartania. The king seems to be an absolute, rather than a constitutional monarch, which rarely works out well for the common people, unless the ruler is very good to his people, like, say, Dr. Doom of Latveria. If the king of Sartania governs by his dreams and can change the successor to the throne on a whim, it's surprising that there hasn't been a revolt by the populace or a coup by his advisors. Maybe the people would have been better off under the dreamer, because at least the con man knows how to keep people happy, at least for a time. I'm going to respond to Dave real quick, and... Yeah, I've always figured that uh, King Leo of Sartania was an absolute monarch. I mean, I don't know much about how monarchies work. I, I mean, I know that traditionally, uh, you know, passed down from king and queen to the oldest child, usually the oldest son, or, or if there's no son, the daughter, who would become a queen and marry someone who would become king. I guess that's how it works. But um, it's unclear what happens when the absolute monarch has no heirs, as King Leo does not. So I don't know if he could just choose one or if... Or if the government or something would choose a new king, I don't know how that would work, but you would think there'd have to be some kind of a check to, well, but I guess if the king could just make whoever, if, if the king could just make whoever he wanted his successor, in the absence of heirs, I guess it would be difficult for anybody to challenge without a military might. I'm not sure that anybody who lived in Sartania would willingly follow the dreamer, but I don't know. Just, just be happy that we didn't ever have to deal with it. So, anyway, back to Dave's letter. As for disappearing Lois, well, we got another appearance of Ben Weldon, who was always fun to watch, and it was a treat to see Lois play up to Lefty. I love your comment that Jimmy has always been kind of a henchman, which is true, but I'd never thought of it that way until you talked about it. Thanks for that. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. What Dave is referring to in that uh, paragraph there is that, you know, Jimmy, if you watch the show carefully, Jimmy is kind of a henchman. He kind of just kind of goes along with Lois and gets himself into trouble via that. You know, he can get himself into his own trouble, but he is normally at the whim of somebody else, whether it's Lois or Perry or whomever. So, while not a criminal henchman, it does kind of make Jimmy a bit of a henchman. So, I would like to thank Dave for his letter. You can get it in the Act 2 if you like. My email address is manofscreen at gmail.com, or you can leave me a review on iTunes. So... With Dave's letter read, I am going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then we're going to come back with whatever goes up. Hang around, folks. The end of the world is approaching. Soon the planet will be engulfed in a nuclear Armageddon. And the only people that can prevent this from happening are considered to be the greatest villains of all time. The only thing standing in their way is the Justice League. In 2005. Uh, wait a second. Are, are we sure about that date this time? Yeah, it's 2005. We're sure this time. Let's just be perfectly clear. I hate all of you so much. Okay, good. Got that. All right. In 2005, 
DC Comics began publishing a 12-issue bi-monthly comic called Justice. Written by Jim Kruger with art by Alex Ross and Doug Braithwaite, this series was essentially a Super Friends for adults. And now another group of Super Friends has come together to discuss all 12 issues in a podcasting crossover called J.L. May 2017. The excitement begins on the April 30th episode of the Fire and Water podcast and continues into Supermates, the Idle Head of Diabolu podcast, Views from the Long Box, the Pulp to Pixel podcast, the Lantern cast, the Shazam cast, Comic Reflections, the Silver and Gold podcast, the Power of Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, and Justice's First Dawn, J.L. May. 2017. Last year, they covered the beginning of the Justice League. This year, they discuss and review the League's toughest battle. The coverage begins on April 30th on the Fire and Water Podcast, located at fireandwaterpodcast.com. All right, welcome back, folks. Let's finish Season 5 with Whatever Goes Up. Original broadcast date was May 31st, 1957. Writer was Wilton Schiller. I believe that's the first time I'm calling his name. And director was Harry Gerstad. Guest cast, and this is a short one, was Tristram Coffin as Major Osborne and Milton Frome as Frank Gannis. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Jimmy Olsen's latest hobby is chemistry, and this could prove dangerous for the cub reporter when he accidentally burns Frank Gannis' $60 pair of pants with a concoction that sprayed out the open window. Fortunately, Superman arrives before Gannis can harm Olsen. No, Superman, let him go. I ruined his pants and it was all my fault. All right, Jimmy, anything you say. Clark Kent told me that you'd been fooling around with some chemicals. I just dropped in to see how much trouble you're really getting into. Well, I was developing a new soft drink. But it acted more like a flamethrower right out that window. But I'm working on some great new discoveries. Watch this. What's that? It's synthetic rubber. Jimmy, I hope you only use the chemicals that came in your set. No, I bought some extra stuff down at the chemical store. You did? What'd you use? Some of that stuff on the shelf over there. Jeepers, Superman, what happened? Well, Jimmy, that so-called synthetic rubber ball of yours was a dangerous explosive. Now, in the future, will you pick a safer hobby like uh, collecting butterflies, for example? Oh, but Superman, I've got a couple of other pretty important projects in the work. Here, let me show... Jimmy, butterflies? Having brought beauty contest photos to the office of Daily Planet editor Perry White, Jimmy decides to use his latest invention on a paperweight. A floating bottle comes out of Jimmy's pocket. He grabs it to place a few drops of its liquid on the figure holding down its pictures. The paperweight begins to levitate. As Perry enters, Jimmy hides it in the desk. Irate, the chief wants to know what's going on. Were you looking for me, Olsen? No, no, I was, uh... I, uh, I just brought in the pictures of the beauty contest finalists. I see that. Now, what were you doing in my drawer? Drawer? 
What drawer? You know what drawer. I mean my desk drawer. You slammed it shut just as I came in. I did? No, I didn't. I mean, if I did, I, I didn't know I did. All right, Olson. What kind of unfunny practical joke is this? Practical joke? I don't know what you're talking about, Chief. Sir. You know perfectly well what I'm talking about. This, this floating paperweight. Oh! <laughs> Olson, you are fired. Not only from this paper, but I'll see to it you never work in the newspaper business again. I'm going to see to it that you never work anywhere again. I may sue you for assault and battery. Does it really hurt, sir? <sighs> Olson, you are amazing. Chief, you're absolutely right. Sometimes I amaze myself. All right. I give up. What is the gimmick? Well, there's no gimmick. Look, there's no wires. I bought a chemistry set last week. A chemistry set? Aren't you a little old for that sort of thing? Well, look what it did last night. Leon, watch out. You might drop it. And with your scientific abilities, I wouldn't want to be around when you drop it. Drop it? You can't drop it. That's the beauty of it. Watch this. It's no trick. It's a secret formula I developed. <laughs> Your aim is getting worse, Olson. You missed me that time. Well, that's the part I can't control. It's like your temper. My temper? Why, you insolent young... You see what I mean? I have no temper. See? Wait a minute. Do you mean to tell me you've discovered something that will counteract gravity? Well, that's just what I've been trying to show you. Why, this is the greatest thing since the invention of the wheel. No, it's not that great. It only lasts a few seconds. That's the part I haven't licked yet. But the thing you have licked is the greatest scientific advance in our time. It is? Olson, this thing is something that you can't keep to yourself. The government has got to be told about this at once. It has. Golly. Major Osborne does not believe his eye when he sees demonstration of Jimmy's anti-gravity chemical. Now, Major, you know I wouldn't call Washington on a wild goose chase. Well, frankly, Mr. White, Anti-gravity. Major, if I hadn't seen this with my own eyes, I, uh... I'm also a man who believes what he sees, Mr. White. I wouldn't be here at all, except that my superiors had faith in your word. And you'll have faith too, Major, after you've seen what I've seen. I have no doubt. Now, if I could meet this Professor Olson that you spoke of. Certainly, he's just outside. Uh, send, prof uh, send Jimmy Olson in, please. Uh, Major, I'm afraid someone has left you with the wrong impression. As a matter of fact, Mr. Olson is not exactly a professor. He's more of a, uh... Did you call me, Chief? Yes. Someone here I want you to meet. Major Osborne, this is Jimmy Olson. How do you do, sir? This is Olson? Now, see here, Mr. White, what kind of a... Uh, Major, let's not jump to any hasty conclusions. But this boy... Einstein was only 12 when he published his theory of relativity. He was 26. But I still don't see what that has to do with this. That's entirely beside the point. The fact remains that Mr. Olson has discovered an anti-gravity fluid. His age is purely irrelevant. Well, all right. I've come this far and spent this much time. I might as well go all the way. Do you have it, Jimmy? Yes, sir. May I borrow your pen, please, Major? There you are, sir. 
Well, Mr. White, when do we see the demonstration? Any moment now. Well, what do you think of our little demonstration, Major? Oh, what demonstration? Mr. White, is this some kind of trick? It's your pen, Major. Of course, it's not perfected yet. We have to find a way to make it more persistent. Professor, may I see that substance? Let him see it, Jimmy. Well, now, Major, are you convinced? Well, unless this is some fantastic practical joke. Now, Major, why would I oh, do it? I apologize, Mr. White. But you can't blame me for being a little skeptical. After all, every scientist in the world has said there can be no such thing as anti-gravity. Well, the way I look at it, gravity is a magnetic force. Now, we all know that opposite magnetic forces attract. Light poles repel. And it's my idea that Olson has discovered a like force to gravity. That sounds very logical. What do you think, Professor? Sure. Well, now, I suppose we'll have to set up well-equipped laboratories provide expert assistance and ample funds to carry on the research. No, I have my own laboratory. I don't mean a thing. Well, perhaps you're right. The fewer people that know about this, the better. Why, if word of this ever got out, every unscrupulous individual and every world government would be scheming to get their hands on it. And of course, I'll give Olson leave of absence from his duties here so we can carry on his great work for the government. At full salary, of course. Of course. Of course. Now, may I uh, send that bottle back to our laboratories for analysis? Sure, I've got a big bottle of the stuff back at my lab. And you uh, have the formula. Well, uh, you see, I was working on so many experiments at one time that, well, I don't quite know which one that one was. But uh, I'll recheck my papers. Good. And I'll stay on in town in case there's anything you need. The bottle! I can't understand it. It's simply not in this room. But there's been no one else in this office, and it was here just a minute ago. That bottle should fall into the hands of the wrong person. Superman! Did anyone here lose this? I found it floating around outside. Oh, hello, Major. Nice to see you again, sir. Hello, Superman. Well, that's mine. Thank you very much. Oh. Well, I have to send in my report. I'll see you later in the day, though I may spend a little while with the psychiatrist in the meantime. Goodbye, sir. Major. In reality, Jimmy created the liquid by accident. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Miss Lane. You get some air in here. How's the experiment coming? What do you know about it? Well, the chief told Clark and me swore us to secrecy. One of us is to come here every day and get a progress report. That way we'll have a story ready when the government releases it. There isn't going to be any story. Are you kidding? But, Jimmy, we're all proud of you. Wait, this will be the biggest story of the century. Miss Lane, I have to tell somebody or I'll go crazy. I haven't the faintest idea what I'm doing. What do you mean? Well, I was fooling around with my chemistry set one day, trying to make a new kind of chocolate cake. I mixed together some chemicals, some eggs, and some sugar. But you do know what you put in. No. A few bottles of some stuff fell off the shelf, 
the mixing bowl broke and got mixed up with the rest of the stuff and suddenly the bowl began to float. Probably the world's lightest cake. <laughs> but you must have some idea of what went into the mixture. The whole thing was a series of accidents. I don't think I could repeat them. We are going to have to try. Do you have any of the mixture left? Yeah. I keep it trapped in here. It, uh, it sort of has a tendency to float. Maybe you better start working on that cake again. Why don't you put all the bottles back the way you had them that day and then try to duplicate your movements? No, it's no use, Miss Lane. I don't have any idea what I had around here that day. Well, why don't you tell the Major that and just forget the whole thing? I'm afraid to. Mr. White's gone way out on a limb convincing the government that I knew what I was doing. If they ever found out what really happened, it'd make him seem like an idiot. And that's one thing he doesn't enjoy seeming like. Well, that's for sure. Well, is there anything I can do to help? Well, maybe we could both work on it. That way we'd have twice as good a chance of stumbling onto the formula again. Here's a small sample of the stuff. Come in. Professor Olson. Now, wait a minute. Don't get excited. I'll pay for your pants. I'll oh, think nothing of it, Professor. A misunderstanding. I didn't know who you were. I'm Frank Gannis from the Department of Government Research. May I speak freely? Well, sure. This is uh, Miss Lane, my assistant. How do you I do? Did. Word has reached us, Professor, that you have been conducting rather successful experiments in anti-gravity. Yes, but Major Osborne has already contacted me. Major Osborne? My word, sir, I know of no such officer in our service. I'm afraid you've been put upon by an imposter. Really? How terrible. What? We better contact Washington immediately. Very cute, Miss Lane. Hold it right there. All right, Olson. I'll take the stuff, whatever it is, in the formula. But I don't have a formula. I only wish I did. It must be here someplace. All right, step back. Both of you. Honestly, I don't have any anti-gravity fluid. Never heard of anti-gravity. What do you call that? What is that? Ah! Oh! Pull the gun on him, Jimmy. I'll get the police. Hold it, Miss Lane. All right, Olson. I'll take the formula and whatever stuff you've already made. Come on. All right. I'll give it to you. Come on. Stop right there. Just let go of it and step back. Lucky for you, you didn't try anything smart. Get it back! Oh, it really doesn't matter. You can make plenty more, can't you, Olson? That's what I've been trying to tell you. I can't. Step back. I think you're telling the truth. So I have another idea. Come along with me to my laboratory. You can finish your experiments there. You're expecting someone? Him, Superman. Just get the jar of anti-grav and float it out the window. The attempt on his life, combined with being unable to figure out the mixture of his anti-gravity formula, have taken their toll on Jimmy. Oh, I quit. That's all there is to it. I quit. 
Now, now, calm down, Olson. This is a very important decision you're making. I know it's an important decision. That's why I can't calm down. Maybe the boy's right, Chief. You can see the state he's in. You keep out of this, Kent. Do you fully realize the importance of your work to the government? Do you fully realize the importance of my life to me? You're exaggerating. Just because one man tried to steal your formula. It only takes one man to kill me. Superman frightened him away. He won't be back. Jimmy, why don't you give the government everything you discovered up till now? Let them carry on from there. That's the first sensible thing I've heard all morning. All right, if that's the way you feel about it. Major Osborne is due here any minute. Yes? Yes, of course, send him in. Well, now you can tell Major Osborne. And I'm sure he'll be quite disappointed in you. Ah, Major, nice to see you again. Yeah. I'll be in my office if you want me, sir. All right, Clark. Well, Professor, I was just over at your laboratory looking for you. And I was just going to look for you. Sir, I give up. I quit. Olson, won't you please reconsider? Uh, Mr. White, let me talk to the boy a moment. Now, son, you just can't quit. We need you. Don't you realize how important your work is? Major, I feel that the government scientists are much more qualified to carry on my work than I am. No, but they're not. That's what I wanted to see you about. We've just completed our analysis of your anti-gravity liquid. Good. Then you have the formula. Well, that's just it. Well, we can break it down to most of its component parts, but the professor here seems to have accomplished some rearrangement of the atoms. We've been unable to duplicate the exact mixture. So you see, Olson, you have to carry on. No, I won't. Of course, we can't force you to. But I just want you to know that your country will be eternally grateful. Major, if I thought I could be of any use... But think of what you'll accomplish. Why, we could build spaceships to the stars using your anti-grav fluid. Not only that, but people will be able to fly without a ship. Anyone, even you, will be able to fly like Superman. Yeah. I would be able to fly like Superman, wouldn't I? Major? Chief? I've never been one to shun my duty to my country. I'll do it. Word has reached the underworld of Metropolis about Jimmy's anti-gravity fluid. It is for this reason that Major Osborne's men have his building surrounded. Lieutenant Traley just called me. The entire building is surrounded. No one will be able to get in without being seen. Yes? Yes, he's here. For you, Washington calling. Oh, thank you. Major Osborne here. What? Will you repeat that, please? Why, that's terrible. Yes, I'll get the information to him immediately. What happened? That was a laboratory in Washington. While running some experiments on the sample of Olson's antigrav, they mixed a small portion of it with water. A few minutes later, it exploded. Of course, it's highly unstable. That's why it disintegrates on exposure to the moisture in the air. Well, we knew it was unstable, but we hardly expected it to be that unstable. We'll have to notify Professor Olson at once. May I use your phone? Certainly. Thank you. Let's have it, Olson. What good will it do you? You'll never be able to get out of here now. Why don't you give up? That stuff's my only hope. The only way I can get out of here is to fly. Well, that's strange. He doesn't seem to answer. Can't understand it. 
I'd better get over there right away. Would you care to... Where did Mr. Kent go? I don't know. He was here a moment ago. Gannis has forced Jimmy at gunpoint to give him the anti-gravity fluid. Oh, no, that's just... Uh, all right, you win. That is the rest of the anti-gravity fluid. We were holding out on you. We were? Okay, don't get smart. Now pour the rest of that stuff into this jar. and sugar? What? Nothing. I'm gonna take this stuff and pour it all over myself and float out that window. For your sake, it better work. You're not floating anywhere. I have a message for you from the government. I'm glad I got here in time. This is one time Superman, we really didn't need you. He wasn't going anywhere. Oh, sure, there's enough stuff here to have floated him out that window and passed the government man. Not with that stuff, it's diluted. Not with water, I hope. Water, of course not. Well, thank goodness for that. You see, the government scientists have discovered when you mix this stuff with water, it explodes in a matter of minutes. Explodes? Why, we put coffee in there. Coffee? Here, Gannis, you wanted this. Oh, no. This time, it's the whole suit. Don't worry, where you're going, they'll furnish your clothes. Look at my lab. It's ruined. Well, maybe it's just as well. Now you can leave science to the scientists. Does anyone know where I can get a good secondhand butterfly net? All right. You know, this is a decent episode. It's fun, you know, it's, you know, anytime you can get Jimmy out of his element and into a lab of some kind or just getting into some hijinks, you know it's going to be a fun episode and a memorable one. I always remember that there was an episode of Jimmy with a chemistry set, and that concept is probably more memorable than what Jimmy actually did. Like I said, anytime Jack Larson is doing something out of the ordinary for Jimmy, it's a treat to watch. And, you know, I believe I mentioned uh, Semi-Private Eye as the, I guess it was one of the first, uh, Jimmy Olsen comics come to life. And you know what? I could see this too being a Jimmy Olsen comic. You know, just Jimmy Olsen uh, getting mixed up in something uh, and, you know, kind of hilarity ensues from there. And, you know, it's not the best episode out there. You know, there are definitely Superman episodes that are better. But this one is just a lot of fun and it's humorous. And in a Jimmy Olsen-centric story, that's really all I'm asking. You know, just a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who think this episode is very poor, but... I have a hard time disliking any episode that centers around Jack Larson's performance. And the episode starts off going right into Jack Larson. You know, the first thing you see is Jimmy doing chemistry. And just from knowing the show, you know that's going to cause some trouble. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with this? Well, you know, when Jimmy's doing chemistry, probably everything is going to go wrong with that. And that's why we watch. That's what we want to see. We want to see the ridiculous messes that Jimmy can get himself in and out of. We see it right away. We see the body humor. We see, you know, Jimmy <laughs> falling over across his lab and going, ending up right in front of the window and spraying some guy's pants with his potion. And, you know, you can see that it's, uh, 
He's definitely serious about his chemistry. He traded in his gray tweed blazer and his teal sweater for a blue apron, but he still has the bow tie. So Jimmy shook up his concoction after he fell toward the window. So obviously he has to fall toward the window because it needs to spray the intended victim's pants. So that does prove one thing beyond the shadow of the doubt. Jimmy's concoction is definitely carbonated, and he does say later on that he was trying to create a new soft drink. So maybe that was one of those cases where he actually succeeded. We don't actually know what's in that. I mean, are we meant to believe that that's an early uh, dose of the anti-gravity formula? I mean, we never really know, but I don't imagine it is. The anti-gravity formula didn't eat through anybody's pants the way it did this guy. And, uh, and apparently this accident gives the unintended victim reason to just walk into Jimmy's lab and yell at him. You know, I guess I would be upset too if $60 pants were ruined. Just for reference, a $60 pa- pair of pants in 1957 would cost you about $522 today. So, I mean, I won't even spend $60 on pants today. So just imagine how much money this guy pl- planked down for those pair of pants. Like a 50, 522 of today's dollars. Yeah, I'd be upset too. Well, you know, here comes Superman, and Jimmy's lab must be in a basement somewhere, as that's a nice landing. You can tell that the scene on the street is a little bit elevated, and George, when he makes his entrance, just grabs the top and swings right in. Doesn't even sound like he landed. The combination of that shot and the special effects makes it seem like he went straight from flying to the landing in the in the basement. A very uh, nice-looking landing. And here is Jimmy admitting that he's trying to make a new soda. Then I'd like to know why he shook it. Doesn't he know that when you shake soda, it explodes like that? Guess Jimmy forgot. So Jimmy used more than what came in his chemistry set to make his acidic soda. That alarms Superman as he grabs the synthetic rubber ball that Jimmy made and uh, it explodes. Now, what exactly is synthetic rubber? Isn't rubber synthetic by design? I don't know. I'm not a chemistry expert, and I don't think Jimmy is either. But I want to go back to Jimmy's shopping for a minute. He said he went to the chemical store. Was there a place where you could go and buy some of this stuff, you know, without being a high school chemistry teacher or something? Please tell me that in 1956 or 57, you couldn't just walk into a store and buy hydrochloric acid or something for some kind of chemistry project. Youch. Well, anyway, Superman tells Jimmy to pick a safer hobby like collecting butterflies. Just spend some time picturing Jack Larson chasing butterflies with a net. The image will do you some good. Now, apparently Jimmy has a floating bottle of something in his pocket, so he thinks it's a good idea to put it on on Perry's paperweight. And now here comes Perry, and here's Jimmy looking very guilty behind the chief's desk because he just shoved the paperweight in there to keep it from flying away. Now, I'm guessing this floating paperweight is held by some kind of wire that was optically removed from the shot. I mean, just look at Jack Larson's face as he looks at this paperweight float around. Just pure joy. You know, he's got pure joy on his face, and I've got pure joy just watching him work. And, you know, when Perry comes in, he, he chases Jimmy around the desk, and, of course, it wears off, and the paperweight lands on Perry's foot because, again, physical comedy, and he fires Jimmy and gets to the point where he's going to blackball Jimmy globally. But after getting a demonstration of the formula, he decides the government needs to be called because this is clearly the greatest development of all time. So here comes the Major, who is disbelieving, and even more so when he meets Jimmy, who he hilariously calls Professor Olsen. He's not buying uh, that Jimmy can do what he said he is because of his age. Even though Jimmy tries to Jimmy tries to debunk that by saying Einstein was 12 and he came up with the theory of relativity. But Osborne says he was 26. Which, you'd imagine, I don't know how old Jimmy's supposed to be in this show. It's unclear how much time passes. But Jack Larson is pushing 30 here. So they used the major's pen. Jimmy uh, sprinkled some of it on there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was half expecting it not to work. But the Major was not impressed until he realized his pen was floating. Very nonchalant about it until he realized what was actually happening. So now we get to the educational portion of our show, 
when Perry talks about the magnetic poles and attractions and repulsion. You know, on a magnet, like poles will repel while opposites will attract and all that. So it's another long talky scene, but it's dressed up with some nice visuals. You know, seeing objects float around the shot is a nice treat. But it is a little strange that nobody sees the bottle float right out the window. You know, maybe Perry should close that window. Unless, of course, he's waiting for Superman, who thankfully caught it and was able to figure out which window it came from. I mean, why would anything float out of a window in Metropolis other than Perry White's window? I mean, wouldn't it be strange if something just floated out of the window of somebody else? Unless, of course, they're just, just the only place that opens its windows. So the Major asks Jimmy what the formula is, and as expected, he has no idea as he kind of just fell backwards into this discovery, you know. Did you really think Jimmy would know how he created what he created? I mean, it was almost a foregone conclusion that he created what he created purely by accident, which is what happens here. But Jimmy gets a paid leave out of it so he can figure out what's going on, and Perry White is just kind of suckered into giving Jimmy paid leave. Because at first he says that uh, he'll give Jimmy time off to work on his discovery, and then Jimmy kind of says, with pay, and the Major says, of course, and that puts Perry in a bit of a bind, because I don't think he was intending to pay Jimmy for his time off. But, you know, he can't really say that he's not going to pay Jimmy in front of the Major right there, so... Perry's not getting his way on this one. And I know just from his performance that it pains him every time he refers to Jimmy as Professor Olsen. Nothing professorial about Jimmy. So here is now poor Jimmy in his lab trying to figure out what's in that formula while the Major is hovering over him. I hate that. I hate when I'm trying to do my work and somebody is hovering over my shoulder. just freaks me out. And then as the Major says something about the formula, Jimmy comments that he'd love to know what's in it. But he has to correct himself. Even though, you know, he told the Major earlier that he took notes on what was going on, he has clearly no idea what the formula was. We had to have known that he wasn't going to find it in his paperwork. And then when he talks to Lois later, we find out the truth, that some of the chemicals just kind of fell off a shelf and into a bowl, and it started floating. Which probably would have scared the hell out of Jimmy. But I will say this, though. It's a good thing this didn't happen during a thunderstorm. Or maybe it's a bad thing. I don't know. Otherwise... Jimmy may have wound up with some super speed to give Barry Allen a run for his money. So now Jimmy's actually concerned about Perry looking like an idiot because Jimmy kind of blundered his way into this discovery. Although I'm not sure if Jimmy is concerned more for Perry's rep or for his own life. Perry will probably kill him if this doesn't work out. So now here is the victim from the beginning as the man who got his pants burned is back and pulling a gun on Jimmy. And now here is one of the funniest lines in the series. At least I think it was. Jimmy says that he doesn't know about any anti-gravity formula as a bench rises from behind it. And, of course, it falls on Gannis, who is leading a charmed life so far this episode. Jimmy tells Superman to let him go in the opener, and now Lois sends Superman after the anti-gravity formula. And I'm sure his luck will run out eventually, but... And it's unclear, of course, whether Superman actually recovered the jar. Of course, most of this plotline seems unnecessary, because if the government has already analyzed Jimmy's initial sample... Why do they need the formula from him at all? We've already seen that it works, and they have to be government scientists much more qualified to carry on to Jimmy. And now Jimmy wants to quit. Perry says Gannis won't be back, but you know what? We know how these episodes work. We know he will be. Clark suggests letting the government take over, and uh, here comes Major Osborne, who comes in and gives Jimmy the you-can't-quit-your-government-needs-you speech, and apparently what happens is the government scientists can't break it down because... In his stumbling and bumbling, Jimmy has rearranged the atoms to a point where the government scientists can't break it down. Personally, I think the government needs better scientists. You know, maybe they should check the private sector where 
science is probably a lot more lucrative. And that's probably where the better scientists are going. So here's again, as he seems to have beat the feds protecting Jimmy by a few minutes. And then Osborne gets a call that Perry's apparently Jimmy's mixture explodes when it hits water. Lovely. Not only can they not figure out what's in it, but it's but it's an explosive as well. I'm surprised the government didn't want that formula even more when they realized they could probably weaponize it, but I guess we're not thinking like that at this time. So Superman is flying toward Jimmy, and maybe the third time we'll see results in Gannis's arrest. So Jimmy rescues Jimmy and Lois and finds that the anti-gravity formula has been mixed with coffee, which contains water, just saying. So Superman throws an explosive compound at the episode's villain. This explosion wrecks the lab and should have killed Gannis, but it just finishes the joke from earlier in the episode, as he's now standing there in a, sh- in a shredded suit. Again, it's a cartoon, but you know what? This image of Gannis standing there, his face blackened by soot and his outfit in shreds is just hilarious. And we get our episode's end with Jimmy leaving the science to the scientists, which is probably a good choice. And this episode was probably a good choice to end Season 5 on. It was better than some that had come before, and it was very fun and memorable and funny. You know, it's more not, if you're a kid, that's what you're asking for from a Superman episode. You just want to be entertained, and I was entertained by this episode, and I'm sure many others were too. So, I'm going to take a quick break, play another promo, and then I'm going to come back to begin Season 6 of The Adventures of Superman with The Last Night. Hang around, folks. In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars Story, monthly at mystarwarsstory.com All right, welcome back, folks. Here we go. Season 6, The Last Night. Original broadcast date was February 3rd, 1958. Writer was David Chandler, and director was Tommy Carr, who we haven't seen since the second season of the show. Guest cast included Pierre Watkin as Sir Lancelot, Marshall Bradford as Sir Arthur, Jason Johnson as Sir Henry, Paul Power as Sir Gawain, Ollie O'Toole as the Squire, Tom Dillon as the Museum Guard, Ron Foster as the First Policeman, and Morgan Windbale as the second policeman. And now for our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are covering a medieval museum exhibit for the Daily Planet. Lois is admiring a green jewel in a display case as she and Jimmy discuss the possibility of theft and the alarm system. As the cup reporter prepares his camera, he loses the flashbulb. He finds it near a suit of armor along with a specially made cufflink. The pair intend to take it to the lost and found after Jimmy snaps some photos. As Lois and Jimmy leave, the suit of armor walks to the jewel's display case. Its iron fist smashes the glass. Lois and Jimmy are detained once the bauble is found with them. Inspector, you've known us for years. We wouldn't do a thing like that. Jeepers, no. We even talked about how the display case was wired to the burglar alarm. Mm-hmm. So you were thinking about how to steal it. Well, no, we, I, I mean, Jimmy thought it would be easy, and I now, would... see, Inspector? 
She's practically confessed. I did nothing of the sort. I'm afraid you'll have to come downtown. Not yet, Inspector. Are we glad to see you? I hate to do it, Superman, but all the evidence seems to point Just to... what evidence is there, Inspector? I'll tell you, Superman. These two were the last in the room. When I found the jewelers missing, I had them stopped at the door. We searched them and found this in Mr. Olson's film kit. That's right, Superman. But I didn't put it there, I don't think. Got there somehow, Jimmy. May I see this, sir? Thank you. You've ruined it! No, no, it's just a cheap paste imitation. It's not the real jewel. But I don't understand. Somehow, Miss Lane, we've started something again. If this doesn't make sense so far, it's just the beginning. I found this under the cushion, the real jewel. May I see that, Inspector? Thank you. Yes, it's real, all right. Oh, incidentally, Inspector, this lets Miss Lane and Jimmy out, doesn't it? Miss Lane, let's get out of here while we're ahead. Oh, I hate to bring this up, but you know that suit of armor standing in the corner? Yeah. It isn't standing in the corner anymore. What? And honest, we didn't take that either. I don't understand. Neither do I, Inspector. Sir Arthur has returned to the secret location of the Society for the Preservation of Knighthood and Dragons. You did it, Sir Arthur. You did it. A perfect fit. A work of art. The very earliest style. It is rather dashing, isn't it? It's hardly the word for it. Wait till we polish you up. Such a daring exploit deserves a reward. I move that Sir Arthur be named official king of the Society for the Preservation of Knighthood and dragons. Excellent. 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 I'm deeply moved. And deeply disturbed. Nothing went wrong, did it, Sir Arthur? Yes. I had no trouble with the jewel. Our chauffeur, pardon me, our squire, slipped the imitation jewel into Mr. Olson's kit as they entered the museum. And as planned, the supposed theft created a diversion, allowing me to escape. Then what disturbs you, Sir Arthur? Last night, I hid in the museum after closing. I slipped into the armor this morning before opening, but, but somehow I lost a cufflink. Not one of the official society links? I'm afraid so. Disastrous. It might take time, but eventually they'll learn who made it and for whom. Exactly. I'd be arrested and the society would be discovered. Then where can it be? The photographer Olsen picked it up. There's only one thing for it. We must go on a quest. That's it. A quest for the Golden Link. Sir Arthur, our duty is clear. We leave at once. Such loyalty. The true spirit of the round table. One for all and all for one. I'll wait for you here. Of course. It is we who serve the king. Shall we go? Immediately. The Society for the Preservation of Knighthood and Dragons has captured Jimmy and Lois. I demand to know what this is all about. This is the 20th century and there aren't any such things as knights anymore. In here is the 12th century. Now, Mr. Olson, where do you live? In Yonfen, by the nest at Loch Vale. Uh, in other words, in Mr. Kent's apartment at the Standish Arms. Is that where you left the cufflink? The cufflink, of course. That's what they want. Then you do understand, fair lady. I don't know where it is. In all the confusion, I forget what I did with it. I warn you, young varlet, I must have a better answer. Tell him, Jim, please. I 
can't, Miss Lane. I, I really don't know where it is. I find that hard to believe. Well, it's a lot easier to believe than all of this. A few hours in the dungeon might restore his memory. The dungeon, Sir Arthur? Isn't that a bit severe? Sir, I agree with him. The dungeon's a little severe. D don't you have a nice tower room with a view? Of course, if you'll tell us where you left the cufflink. Oh, we'll do even better. We'll buy you another pair. I'm afraid you missed the point, fair lady. Somehow I always do. You leave me no choice. Turn around, Mr. Olson, and walk toward the hearth. Sure. But where is it? I think you call it a fireplace. A fireplace? Why, you wouldn't dare. Walk, Mr. Olson. But I forgot my marshmallows. Walk. Walk. Miss Lane, the same for you. Oh, I say, Sir Arthur, that's strictly against the code of the round table. It really is, sir. Section 2, Article 1 distinctly states that all women must be treated gallantly. My error. I'm sorry. Then I don't have to go into the dungeon? Certainly. But you get to walk down the stairs. Now there's a gallant gesture. Right this way, Miss Lane. But how long do we have to stay down there? Until we get the cufflink. Well, that could be never. For your sake, Miss Lane, let's hope not. Sir Arthur's only course of action is to have Sir Henry search Clark Kent's apartment, where Jimmy is staying while his mother is away. Two policemen have taken Sir Henry as he searches Clark's apartment. I don't know how to thank you, Mr. Kent. Then you can start out by telling me who you are and what you're doing in my apartment. Oh, I can't. We're, we're sworn to secrecy. Whoever called the police wasn't sworn to secrecy. Well, somebody betrayed me, but... I still can't believe it. Well, you'd better believe it. That somebody's trying to get you killed. Just make it over for a minute. I'm sure that you'll want to talk. You see, my name is really Oliver Smith. I used to be in the lumber business. But since I retired, my only interest is the SPKD. SPKD? The Society for the Preservation of Knighthood and, and Dragons. I see. Uh, a secret society? Yes. One of our members lost a cufflink that uh, might expose us, and that's what I was looking for here. Mm -hmm. Who else knew that you'd be here? Well, only Sir Arthur and Sir Gawain and Sir Lancelot. Well, would any of them have a reason to want you out of the way? Oh, but this is... Just a harmless club, Mr. Kent. It's merely an unusual hobby. It's the secrecy that makes it exciting. Well, it isn't uh, harmless anymore, Mr. Smith. There must be a reason. Well, we did take an oath. You see, we're all quite wealthy, and we put all our money in negotiable bonds at the castle to carry on the society. Now, let me see if I understand this. If anything happens to the three of you, the fourth would inherit the money. Is that correct? Yes, it, it would work that way. Well, one of you is a very desperate man, Mr. Smith. The question is, which one? I, I don't know. Well, not me, certainly. I, I wouldn't harm a fly. No, no, of course you wouldn't. Oh, one more question. Where is this castle? It's out in the country, in an area called Balmore Woods. Balmore Woods. Good. 
Now let's get out of the armor. My, my, my armor? That's right. From now on, you're going to start acting like a grown man. Here, I'll give you a hand. However, Smith also reveals that Lois and Jimmy are prisoners inside the castle of the Society for the Preservation of Nighthood and Dragons, located in Balmar Woods. Superman is put on Sir Henry's armor and disguised his voice to gain entrance into the castle. With his face covered by the helmet, the Man of Tomorrow meets the group. Unfortunately, he fails to find the club's secret entrance. His ruse is short-lived as Superman is locked into the dungeon with Lois and Jimmy. Sirs Lancelot and Gawain are taken by surprise when Sir Arthur places them with the other captives. These characters probably intend to keep us here forever. Into the wall. He mustn't escape. What did he do? Like you, he refuses to tell us certain things. But I still don't remember. Well, perhaps you will. He's locked us in! say we're all in the same boat or dungeon as the case may be i never heard of anything like this at king arthur's court believe me we meant you no harm when all this started well i wish we could say the same for your sir arthur but who's he we have no idea he may be an enemy but we better keep him chained hello down there you silly fools i meant to dispose of you one at a time but circumstances have changed Make yourselves comfortable. The real Sir Henry should be here shortly. <laughs> but why, Sir Lancelot? Why? It's obvious that you, Sir Henry, and myself have been fools. Sir Arthur intends that we die so that he can get our money. I wish that character was Superman. He'd have us out of here in a hurry. Oh, stop dreaming, Jim. We'll probably never see Superman again. Hello? Oh, yes, yes, Sir Arthur. Thank heavens. Yes, I'm out on bail. Listen closely, Sir Henry. There's a traitor in our midst. An attempt was made on my life. And on mine. Then it must be Sir Gawain or Lancelot. Exactly. Fortunately, I've got them both locked in the dungeon. But you must get here immediately to help me find out which is the scoundrel. Perhaps both of them. Of course, sir. Arthur. I'll leave right away. Sir Henry is also tricked into the prison. He was duped into believing that Gawain and Lancelot were trying to kill him and Arthur. However, Arthur makes him fall through the same trapdoor that took Jimmy. Worse yet, Arthur has thrown a poison gas bomb into the cell. Clearly, he wants to kill the other members of the Society for the Preservation of the Knighthood, Knighthood and Dragons, along with Lois and Jimmy. Superman busts everyone out of the gas-filled dungeon in time. Now, he only needs to bring Sir Arthur to justice. Bullets... A sword and a spear are no match for the powerful hero. The latter weapon is even wrapped around Arthur to prevent his escape. Come on, Sir Arthur. We'll treat you to a sample of good old 20th century justice. Jeepers, Superman. All we started out to do was to spend a quiet hour in the museum. Jimmy, do me a favor, will you? What? Promise me never to go near the prehistoric man exhibit. I shudder to think what might happen if you wound up there. Uh-oh. What's the matter? I remember where that cufflink is. Where? Right here. Oh, no. I remember now. I wore it so I wouldn't forget where it was. Superman, don't let Clark find out about this. He'll really rub it in. Well, Miss Lane, I'll make a bargain with you. If you don't tell him, I won't. Uh, I must say, season six gets off to a pretty 
fun start with uh, with this episode. It's not the best episode of the season, and we're going to see some real good ones coming up in the next couple episodes. Well, I will say this about the last night. This is a bizarre episode, but, you know, like whatever goes up, which ends in season five, it's a lot of fun, you know, and that's, you know, this is a good episode. You know, it's definitely a cautionary tale about what can happen to you if you're rich and retired and have no idea what to do with your money, as these retired uh, former captains of industry certainly are. You know, I enjoyed this episode for the, uh, you know, fun romp that it was. You know, it's always fun seeing uh, Superman fly around in a suit of armor, which is a nice treat. Although there are some thing, questions that I do have about this episode that go unanswered. And I'll get to that when I uh, talk about the uh, the sh- episode when I get to that point. But well, let's, uh, let's get into this one. You know, like I said, I think this episode was a lot of fun and a good way to start season six. And the first shot is a medieval suit of armor on display. So we kind of know where this episode is going right off the bat as it takes a long shot of that suit of armor. You know, and then we kind of, then it, the camera pans over to Lois and Jimmy who are admiring a ring. Oh, and before we go forward, I should mention, this is our first look at red-haired Lois Lane. If you chart the progress, so to speak, of Noel Neal's hair... It had been slowly getting lighter over the course of the color seasons, and uh, by season six, her hair is fully red. I'm not necessarily sure why they allowed her to go full red in season six, and not beforehand. I mean, Bob has said that her hair is naturally red, I believe. But anyway, her hair is full red or even orange in this episode, and for the remainder of this season and series. So, if you ever happen upon a random color episode and you wonder what season it is, if Lois's hair is red, it's season six. Now, one thing that has not changed as we enter season six is Jimmy blurting out the wrong thing at the wrong time. When, when Lois is explaining the alarm system to Jimmy, he says she saved him from a life of crime, which causes a strange look from two identified museum patrons who are walking by behind him. So, Jimmy goes over to the uh, suit of armor to get a picture, and he finds a couple cufflinks after his flashbulb falls out. You know, it's always nice to see Jimmy functioning as a photographer. We don't see it nearly enough in this show. You know, Jimmy's character is a photographer by trade, so it's always nice to be, see him functioning as what he's supposed to be. Like I said, and this show doesn't always happen. He's only a photographer when the plot requires him to be. Which, I guess, is kind of what happens with Lois and Clark, too, and other uh, series. So, once the museum is clear, the suit of armor comes to life, and the man inside it steals the ring Lois was admiring. You didn't actually think the suit of armor came to life without somebody being inside of it, did you? Anyway, he's pretty quick in that armor, and he must have amazing discipline to stand so still for so long, as Jimmy not only takes a photo, but you have to imagine this guy stood there from the time the museum opened until the time he left with the armor. So, apparently somebody heard Jimmy's crack about the life of crime, as Clark Kent gets a call that accuses Lois and Jimmy of stealing the ring. So this uh, causes him to change into Superman and get involved in the story very quickly. So the armored man leaves, and... He did not put a suit of armor in its place, as we're going to find later. And uh, Lois and Jimmy are being questioned by Inspector Henderson and are saying absolutely nothing to help their case, as everything they're saying just makes them seem more and more guilty. They'll say that, the, that she was telling Jimmy about the alarm system, which makes it sound like she cased the joint and knew a lot about it, and they just continue to get themselves even deeper and deeper into trouble until Superman kind of gets them out of hot water. After Superman destroys the fake jewel, Henderson just finds the real jewel in the case. So, we've got a suit of armor who broke the case but framed Jimmy for stealing a jewel that wasn't stolen. Curiouser and curiouser, and no one quite understands what's going on here. So, 
we've got a little bit of a mystery. And uh, as soon as they're free to go, Jimmy decides it's time to get out of there. There is a certain intelligence to quitting while you're ahead. And Jimmy decides now is the best time to uh, to do so. So the uh, man dressed in a suit of armor uh, reaches his little house. And uh, here are a bunch of other men dressed up as knights. I'm guessing that the jewel theft was a feint, so Sir Arthur could steal this armor. One of the armored men is Pierre Watkin, our former Perry White from the Kirk Allen serials. And these guys are celebrating knighthood and basically acting like they're from the 12th century. And apparently Sir Arthur has lost the cufflink, and that identifies the uh, Society of the Preservation of Knighthood and Dragons. From this time forward, though, I'm going to call it the SPK. My tongue got all tied up with saying that organization's full name. So we're going to call the Society for the Preservation of Knighthood and Dragons the SPK. And these old men are going on a quest because the missing cufflink endangers their society. Like I said, these guys are clearly bored and have no idea what to do with their retirement. They are so bored in their retirement that they've traveled all the way back to the 12th century mentally to pass the time. And this is where we get the first uh, indication that Sir Arthur may not be up to uh, anything benevolent. As he's got this wicked smirk on his face as the other men leave. So we know he's up to something. So then we get this scene of Lois and Jimmy leaving the Daily Planet. And interesting note about this scene at the elevator. The colors shifted. And I wonder what happened there. You know, suddenly the colors were no longer as rich or clear as they were a second ago. I didn't see a cut. I don't know what happened. It happens quite a bit during this show. I mean, it's still early in the life of color TV at this point. So I'm guessing there are still some glitches in the process. Or maybe something in the way the film was developed. I don't know. But it happens. This kind of thing doesn't happen so much now. But it happened quite a bit back then. Now here are Lois and Jimmy kidnapped by... Three knights with coats on. And the absurdity of the situation is not lost on Jimmy and Lois. Haven't we met you somewhere before? That doesn't make any difference. Will you step into the car, please? This is the silliest thing I ever heard of. A a suit of armor with a coat on. Correction. Three suits of armor with coats on. What do you think, Miss Lane? It's a cinch we can outrun these guys. Well, of course we can, Jim, but we might miss a good story. Besides, what girl wouldn't want to date three nights in a row? Sir going, I think we better blindfold them. I would have run away because, you know, maybe I, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have run away. I mean, just the kind of thing that would be bizarre enough to uh, pique my curiosity. And it's even more absurd is that these guys are wearing coats. I mean, are they really that cold in these in these outfits? And listen to these names. They're right out of Arthurian legend. I mean, obviously, Sir Arthur, based on King Arthur, Sir Gawain, the Green Knight, and... Uh, I don't know if there was a Sir Henry and uh, King Arthur's court, but there was definitely a Sir Lancelot. So, Arthur wants to cuff Link. Lois is mouthy with the knights, uh, reminding them that it's the uh, 20th century. However, at, their, at the SBK's headquarters, it's the 12th. <laughs> you got some more humorous bits. Uh, Jimmy not knowing what a hearth is, but they tell him that it's the fireplace in 20th century terms. And uh, Jimmy gets uh, goes through the trapdoor to the dungeon. Lois isn't allowed to be pushed in the trapdoor, and... Uh, chivalry demands that they walk her to the dungeon. If they're really feeling chivalrous, they take her home, but they don't. So my question is now, how are they going to find the cufflink if the one person who might know where it is is in the dungeon and not looking for it? I don't think Jimmy doesn't want to find it. I mean, he just assumed he'd done with this whole situation, I think. So Jimmy points out that at the moment he's living with Clark because Jimmy's mother is somewhere. So apparently, uh, Jimmy Olsen is still not old enough to stay at home by himself, or he just doesn't like staying at home by himself, period, and would rather stay with Clark. 
And I guess Jimmy, when he stays that Clark sleeps on the couch, because there's been no indication from any episode that Clark has more than one bedroom in his apartment. So, so Sir Henry is ordered to volunteer to get the cuffling from Clark's place. You married guys, I'm sure you know all about what it's like to be ordered to volunteer. Now, I still don't know, understand the armor with a coat on deal. If it's disguised, it's not a very good one. Not with that helmet and headdress on. So now Henderson is complaining to Clark, you know, I'm getting the read from Henderson that he doesn't really like these weird cases. And he as much as says so, right in that scene, as he says, give me some bank robbers and he'll be a happy cop. But Clark goes home after his talk with Bill and finds Sir Henry, who looks lost in Clark's apartment and is nearly arrested. But since uh, Sir Henry is wearing a suit of armor too, Clark tells the police to let him go and uh, he'll take full responsibility for it. And... By the way, just a men- quick mention here that Clark's apartment looks way different from what we've seen in previous seasons. It's no longer gray, and now the walls are brown wood. Oh, it's like a wood-type color. Wood paneling. I think I like the old apartments better. But clearly, somebody called on Sir Henry, and as viewers, having seen what we've seen, we're pretty much sure that it's Arthur. We've seen those smirks every time he sends someone to do something, so Arthur, to me, is the number one suspect on the on my li- on the list. So apparently, uh, Sir Henry is really Oliver Smith, a bored lumber retiree. And basically, Clark gets him to give up the rest of the group and relieves him of his armor. Sir Henry does tell Clark the most important detail that all four of these men have put their entire fortunes in bearer bonds to keep the society going. Apparently, these men, who were all former executives of business, owned their own businesses, made a lot of money in their lives, have liquidated their fortunes to preserve knighthood. Is this what happens when you retire? Do you really get this bored that this is that you become an idiot? If that's the case, I'm not retiring because I don't want to become stupid. Yeah, so, that's that. <laughs> and then in the next scene, after Clark takes the armor, it's rather hilarious seeing this hapless old man standing in his long johns in Clark's apartment. Not that I enjoy seeing old men standing around in long johns, but just the look on, it, on his face, he looks lost. Apparently, Clark sends him home, basically, in his long underwear. But he does have a coat, so I guess that's okay. So, Superman is now putting the armor on, and he shows off his abilities as a voice mimic, so he can sound like Sir Henry. I don't want to call this super ventriloquism, I just want to call it voice mimicking. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Here's a nice nighttime shot of Superman flying. Filmed for this episode, as you can tell. I mean, it's not every episode that you see a suit of armor flying through the sky. I mean, I guess it would look very strange if we saw Superman put on the suit of armor, fly in costume, and then have the suit of armor on again. And I don't think they filmed this flying shot the way they filmed most of them, as the size of that suit of armor just kind of makes the whole thing look bulky. And to be honest, I wonder if George Reeves is even in the suit of armor at this point. That could be anybody in that wide shot. There's a very extreme close-up of him lifting the helmet as he's flying, and there's George's face, but that could have just been a he could have just laid lay down on a table for that. So Superman arrives at the SPK's headquarters, and he's quickly found out, and is thrown in the dungeon with Lois and Jimmy. Apparently, they haven't figured out that this is Superman in the armor, although they do know it's not Sir Henry. And that's all they care about, and they chain him up to the wall. And as we've expected by his endless smirking, Arthur is behind everything, closing the Sir Lancelot and Sir Gawain in the dungeon with Superman, Lois, and Jimmy. And... So then Arthur calls Sir Henry over, saying that the other two men have attacked him. We know that's a load of crap, and so, as we're all in on what's actually going on. 
in the dungeon, Jimmy looks at what we what they think is Sir Henry, wishing it was Superman, and we're all in on it. We all, we as viewers know that's Superman standing there, and he's just standing there waiting for something to happen. So Sir Henry is called to the house, and he winds up in the dungeon so he can get the money, and he's going to gas them all and so he can take the money. Now Superman decides to take action. Lois asks Superman why he waited, and I'm kind of wondering the same thing. I mean, once Sir Arthur locked Superman in the dungeon with not only Lois and Jimmy, but Sir Gawain and Sir Lancelot as well. Isn't that enough? Did he need to wait for him to lure poor Sir Henry back and try to kill him too? Wasn't It wasn't enough for imprisonment? Yeah, they had to go the extra step to try and catch him trying to kill them. It just seems like Superman could have done a lot better job and... I mean, wouldn't the larceny or whatever the charge he would have faced for still trying to steal the money been enough to send Sir Arthur away for a long time? I don't know. It just seems illogical for Superman to wait any longer beyond when Sir Arthur left them all in the dungeon. Sir Henry didn't even need to be there. And we go back to Sir Arthur. He's done with the knighthood gimmick. As soon as he's got the money, he's back in his street clothes. And when Superman breaks through the wall, he has a 20th century gun, which doesn't work, obviously, because it's Superman. Sir Arthur tries everything, a sword, a spear, and this is the season in which, you know, Bob Fisher and I have talked about this in the past. This is the season where Superman starts looking bored with the guns being fired at him. Well, I will say Superman looks rather annoyed as he wraps up Sir Arthur. And then the rest of the knights will call the police on him. Then after that, Jimmy had the cufflink on his shirt the whole time so he wouldn't forget where it was. The whole premise of this episode is based on him not knowing where the cufflink was. And it was on him the whole time. You know, for safekeeping. I believe it was an episode of Babylon 5 in which Mr. Garibaldi, who was looking for the codes to lock down the station to give to his successor, he wondered, why is it that a safe place is always the one place you can never remember later? It's true when you think about it. At least for me it is. So again, not a great episode, but one that's extremely fun. And again, I had the same question as Lois. Why did Superman wait? But it's just a minor quibble on a bizarre episode. But like I mentioned, an episode that is a lot of fun. So, next time, Bob Fisher will be back on the show for the first of two straight appearances. And next week, we'll be talking some two really good episodes. The Magic Secret and Divide and Conquer. And if you'd like to send me some feedback, you can do so at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can uh, find the show on Twitter. You can follow me there at manofscreencast. You can review the show on iTunes and Stitcher. That will help others find the show in those directories. I I am also uh, on the Two True Freaks Network. I am the co-host of Fear of the Walking Dead cast with Scott McGregor, Sarah Tonin, Brian, and Beth Hughes. We just finished our coverage of Season 7 of The Walking Dead. And in June, we will be getting our coverage of Season 3 of Fear of the Walking Dead. So, until next time, folks, have a good one. Thanks for listening. Bye. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com, and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.